we are so excited to announce our 2021 Doxology and Theology Conference. For details about the conference, head over to our website, the newly designed biblicalworship.com. Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Pastor Mark Dever. Pastor Dever serves as the senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and as the president of Nine Marks Ministry. In this clip, taken from our first 2012 Doxology and Theology Conference, Pastor Dever is preaching on the first two verses of the book of Jude as he considers the needs of a worshiper. You wonder what worshipers need? Here's what worshipers need. Verse 2 doesn't tell us everything worshipers need, but it does tell us some of what all worshipers need. How are the services that we lead complete if they're not regularly finding these same themes in them? So in my own service planning, I plan the services at our church. I begin by looking at the text of Scripture, whether I'm preaching or someone else. I'll do this three times a year. I sit down and plan out for four months at a time. And I'll begin with the text of Scripture, and then I'll get a theological theme and an anthropological theme out of it. So what's something we're seeing about God that's being taught here? What's something we're seeing about humans, our response to God? And then from that, I'll assemble readings from Scripture, songs that would be appropriate with that, trying to help us understand this, this need that we have this way that we are dependent upon God and making sure that these grand themes are there regularly. We see here in verse 2 that Jude prays these three things for them. So take note of these three things. They wouldn't be bad three things for you to pray for yourself, for others. First, pray for mercy. Pray for mercy. What's mercy? Well, this is God's special covenant love that he's always had for his people. Indeed, this is what makes us his people Mercy here is, as one author has put it, a strong affection of love toward his people in misery and a mighty desire to make them blessed in the highest possible degree. God looks on us in compassion and will deliver us from woe to glory. And this disposition in God is mercy. It's nothing that we've earned or deserved. Mercy really implies grace, and it's this gracious mercy that's the very stuff that the Christian walks in constantly. In this, we're born. In this, we live. As Peter said in 1 Peter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great or abundant mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So friends, in this mercy, we are born again. In this, we continue to hope, as Jude says a little later in verse 21, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Mercy is frequently prayed for in the New Testament. Paul opens his letter to Timothy praying that he would continue to know the mercy of God. Paul prayed for the Galatians, for all the Galatians to continue in the true gospel and so know God's mercy. In one place, you know, in Romans 9, he even specifically calls Christians those who are the objects of God's mercy. Romans 9, 23, what if God did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he has also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? Mercy. Now, friends, how can you make mercy prominent in your services if what you do is flatter people, try to make them feel good about themselves, all the inner human potential they have that they can realize more and more. Friends, we can't. We can't know the richness and sweetness of God's mercy if we don't realize the trouble that we're in. Throughout the Bible, we find that we need mercy. I love the way Don Carson has written about this theme in the Bible in one article he wrote. He says, God is the creator. We who bear his image have rebelled and brought down the curse of our maker upon this entire created order. God initiates covenantal relationships, but while he is the God of the covenant, we show ourselves to be covenant breakers. God is the king. We rebel against his rule. God is the husband of his covenant people who go whoring after other gods. God is the God of justice and mercy. We fill the streets with violence and ignore the poor. God is the shepherd of his people. We are lost, straying, stupid sheep and are led by corrupt shepherds. God pours out his unmerited blessings upon his people. We are characterized by thanklessness and grumbling. God is a farmer, an expert in viticulture. His people are a rotten vine. Friends, we need mercy. We, we must tell people the truth that we need mercy. I remember one thing Chesterton writes, I don't have the quote here, about how he first heard the, the Christian understanding of sin. And he said when before he believed in a more humanistic philosophy that the world was all right, something seemed wrong. But finally, when he heard in the Bible that there was something that was desperately wrong with everybody, he said suddenly his heart sang for joy because he knew finally somebody was telling him the truth about the situation that he saw with his eyes. Friend, what would you earn? God's choice of you? God's covenant with you? Christ's coming? His death? His resurrection? Forgiveness of sins? A new start with God? What part of your salvation would you earn? There's not a bit of it that any one of us could ever earn. And so we need God's mercy to begin. And we need God's mercy to continue. As long as we're sinners, we need God's mercy. And Jude prays for mercy for them. He also prays for peace, you see there. If there were the the typical echoes of the, the Greek greeting of grace and mercy, kairos, 
So here we see an echo of the Hebrew greeting, shalom, peace, health. Uh, and this is part of the greeting, I think, of all the letters in the New Testament, from the book of Revelation on back through all of Paul's letters. Uh, the epistle of the Hebrews is particularly full of benedictions, where God is epitomized as the God of peace. Paul presents God in the same way in his benediction in the first letter to the Thessalonians, referring to God as God himself, the God of peace. And again, 2 Thessalonians, now may the Lord of peace himself gives you, give you peace at all times and in every way. And again, to the Romans, the God of all peace. I've traveled enough to know that Americans often don't value peace as much as people in other parts of the world where they haven't had even the most simple kinds of physical peace. They've had a testimony to their inner alienation from God in the brokenness of the world all around them in tragic ways. Friends, this peace is another aspect of the foundation of the faith that these believers had that Jude is writing to. It's like Paul said to the Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heavens, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is how peace initially comes to the Christian. So now listen, if you're watching online or you're even here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're delighted you're here. There's no place we'd rather you be. There's nothing we'd rather be listening to. This is the great news of Christianity. This is the news that Salim, a Muslim from Pakistan that I was talking to yesterday, didn't know and didn't believe. He thinks he can live well enough that Allah will be okay with him at the end. But friends, Christianity, I think, is more realistic about our own hearts. God is perfectly good, and we are not. And because of that, because God is good, we all have a problem. We need a Savior. God sent His Son as that Savior. He lived a life of complete goodness and trust in His Heavenly Father, and He died on the cross bearing the punishment of God, of a good God, against the sins of all those that would ever turn and trust in Him. He bore that punishment. He brought us cleansing and forgiveness and reconciliation. And God raised Him from the dead to show that He accepted that. And He calls everyone now to turn from our sins and to trust in Him. If you don't know this Christ that we've been singing about, thinking about tonight, you can know Him tonight. If you'll repent of your sins, turn from them and trust in Him. Talk to somebody around you. If you're on the internet, email into this conference. They would love to talk to you about this. Be a huge encouragement to them to know that you care about this and that you're wanting to know about this in your own life. Friends, this is what we're about as God's people. We're about His mercy. So why would we not want to showcase that in our meetings together every week? The mercy of God. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And this peace that we know with God now is supposed to spill over into our relationships with each other. Surely Jude was praying that for these troubled Christians. Paul wrote to one church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Jesus had taught his disciples about the special peace that he came to give. And in fact, that peace that he came to give was absolutely unique. Friends, we need peace with God. And if we come to know peace with God, then he's set the stage for us to know peace with the most amazing other people. I had one friend who was Hindu, and he looked into his own religion for resources in strife, dealing with strife in his own family. 
And what he found is he came to understand from his father and from his reading the teachings of Hinduism that he'd been born into was that he was simply told he should cut off these other people who were members of his family or friends because of this conflict. Well, Ashok didn't seem satisfied with that. And he kept looking. And in God's providence, uh, a guy at work that he knew was a Christian, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him over a number of weeks. And Ashok and his wife came to Christ and have grown and flourished. I got an email from him a couple of days ago. He's just preached his first sermon. Praise God. He's in, in business. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, he's flourishing in the Lord. And he's come to know peace with God and peace with other members of his family as well. Friends, how do our services convey this need that we have? How, how do we acknowledge the lack of peace there is between non-Christians and God? You don't help non-Christians by trying to make them feel like they belong and feel really included if you are in any way obscuring the lack of peace they have with God. From time to time in sermons, I'll say something like, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to understand how much you don't belong here. We're, we're delighted you're here. Thank you for being here hope you have enjoyed the friendship of people here, and we want you to come every week. We want you to get to know us. But I guess what I want to say to you is, as much as you may have enjoyed getting to know us, there is so much better stuff than this that you haven't experienced yet. And we don't want to mislead you by our friendliness to you to let you think that you've experienced all there is in being a Christian. Because the most important stuff you haven't yet. And then just go in and explain the gospel. I think sometimes as Christians we're scared to be obviously exclusive. When if we do that with grace and winsomeness and in humility, friends, that's, that's the only way anybody's ever going to be saved, by us telling them the truth that they're not. Friends, we need to be clear that we are people who need to be objects of God's mercy. We need to be at peace with God because by nature we are not. So what we never want to do is try to communicate peace in some wan pale, hallmark card fashion, where we just have a sort of bland sentiment of a surface mood of peacefulness. Um, that's, that's not what Christian worship is about. We're not about lowering our blood pressure in that sense. We need to know that, that we only want peace after the terrible conflict we're in has been recognized. We are at war with God. And what is even worse, God is at war with us. And that's because he should be. Friends, we've got to acknowledge that fact very clearly. Finally, we see that he also prays for love. Love to be yours, he says, in abundance. And of course, love is at the very heart of the gospel. We've already seen that it was God's love that initiated this all. And it's the love of God that Jude exhorts themselves to, to keep themselves in as he closes the letter down in verse 21. Now, we Christians know ourselves to be the recipients of lavish, extravagant love of God. And as with mercy and peace that Jude prays for them, so too with love. Their love originates in the love they've known from God and is to continue on from them to those around them. That's why Paul says to the Colossians, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So we can follow biblical examples to pray for love in each other. Paul prays for, for love in the Ephesians, Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Some such prayer for love is often at the ending of the letters of the New Testament. Have you noticed that? So in your pastoral prayers on Sunday morning, how often do you pray for you and the other Christians you've gathered with to be filled with the love of God? What a wonderfully biblical thing to pray for. Jesus, of course, was concerned with the love of God, that it should be known and shown. He condemned the Pharisees for for not doing that and exhorted his own disciples to make it typical of them. John 13, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Indeed, that that last line of Jesus' great prayer for his disciples in John 17 is for God's love to dwell in them. If you look over at John 17, 26. And notice that, that all of these, mercy, peace, and love, Jude prayed for these Christians in abundance. I love the generosity of spirit there. He prayed that these characteristics would would grow in them. He prayed that that their mercy would increase, that their, their peace would spread, that their love would grow greater and greater. Remember, Jesus had taught that in the last times, wickedness would become more and more abundant, and the love of people would, do you remember what he said, grow cold? So Jude, recognizing the, the kind of death rattle of this world, prayed against this, praying that these Christians would be the opposite of this, Pray that we would be bright witnesses of the reality of God in a world that foolishly ignores him and rebels against him. So Jude prays here for growing apprehension of their mercy and peace and love from God and in the process, their practice of mercy, peace, and love toward each other and toward those outside the church. Mercy, peace, and love in abundance are needed by Christian worshipers in our relationship with God and our relationships with each other then and now. to stop, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this message from Mark Dever entitled, Who Worshippers Are and What Worshippers Need, then go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click podcast, click around, and find the show notes for season one, episode 11, and we are happy to share with you the entire thing. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Mark Norris and Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.